Hi, and welcome to the very first edition of the A-plus show here at Biz News. Mike, uh, we were a bit sad when we said goodbye to the Biz News Power Hour, but I think we might be doing a little better here. An opportunity to divert our attention to something new, something innovative. Let's see if we can make a difference here. I'm Alec Hogg. I'm Mike Lapple. And we work at Biz News, and we spend our weeks looking at ways to inform you better about what's going on in the world of news and business. Uh, my speciality is business. Michael's speciality, news and politics. That's right, yeah. Been a busy week? It has. I, I came back from a life-changing incident I won't speak about here. A very happy life-changing incident. So I purposefully had switched off from the news for a little while, but came back to... To chaos that South African news and politics often is. Are you worried? Are you worried that you're going to get too many wedding presents coming <laughs> through the door? You gave it away, <laughs> and and so on. But Mike, you know, congratulations from our whole team. Thank we, you. We just we're terribly excited about that. This is a new show, so maybe we should give a little bit of background to what we're trying to achieve here. So um, we are going to to give a very nice blend of our various skill sets. And it's going to be a look at news and politics. Sometimes we're going to throw in a bit of fun, a bit of sport, maybe a bit of movies at some, at some time. We're going to start off with, as I understand it, once a week and, and just connect with people on what is a fantastic platform, Twitter. This is my very first time on Twitter Spaces. Mr. Hogg, this is not your first time. Second. On <laughs> Second time on Twitter Spaces. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, coming up on, let's call it the A-plus show, uh, there's going to be a whole mixture of things. Um, but from my side, it's going to be Operation Dudula. They are all over the headlines, uh, as is their leader, the face of that movement. It's an apolitical movement, we are told, and Klantla Lux Mochlauli. We at biznews.com put a very nice um, piece out yesterday. I see some people were saying, uh, stop... Um, uh, stop gossiping about the man. Why don't you speak to him directly? Well, dear listener, dear viewer, we did. We've reached out to him several times. So in the absence of that, it's important to speak about a man who's out there in the forefront. So I did my very, very best to put that together. So, um, And I, I spoke to a, a political analyst about Mr. Mokhlaoli. Uh, then we look at… You call him Mokhlaoli, but he calls himself Klamini. Just, just as a little aside, mm. we did get it lined up for him to come… And well, not to, to come, but to talk to us a while ago. Yeah. And he didn't pitch. What, what do you call that when somebody agrees to an interview and then they, they don't come? I think, I think the kids call it ghosting. There we go. He ghosted us. Or blue ticked. So, so we got blue ticked. <laughs> we got blue ticked by Lux. But uh, you called him Motlali. Yeah. Lamini, what's his real name? So Nhlantla, um is Isizulu for lucky. And I was listening to a podcast that he'd appeared on, and that's where this Lux comes from. You may think it comes from his love for luxury goods. It's not. It's L-U-C-K-S initially, and that's what his grandfather used to call him, Lux, as in you're lucky. And then when he arrived at St. David's, uh, I think the white boys couldn't pronounce in Schlantler, so they called him Lux. And that's just something that stuck, and then it came with the X, the L-U-X. Whether Dlamini fits in, I'm not sure, because according to the court documents and according to the CIPC records, which you must use your official ID for, there he's listed as Mokhlaoli. But he's rebranded himself. He rebranded himself in 2014. 2013, he was in Klantle Mokhlaoli. Uh, 
and he had 61 followers on Twitter. He rebrands himself in 2014 as Inchantla Lux. He's got 82,200 followers now. Quite we, the change. So we're going to get uh, in, into a bit of teeth there, uh, or our teeth into it in mm. some detail a little bit later after uh, we, we run. And that's the other way that we're going to be playing here, is we will be giving very short little inserts of interviews that Mike and I have done in the past week, just to give you a little bit of a, maybe a conversation starter. Yeah, just wait the appetite. We, we, we know that your, your time is precious and thank you for joining uh, in. We see a couple of people on Twitter Spaces already joining us. Uh, thanks for giving us some of your precious time. So we're going to play those little sound bites, those little snippets, just, just to give you some background. And then Alec and I are going to shoot the breeze. Indeed. From my side, I'll be covering SPACs, uh, a South African SPAC, which we'll list on the Cape Town Stock Exchange on the 5th of May. I'll be talking about NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens, cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. and then Tsepo Malele, we're becoming a global citizen or a patron for global citizenship uh, or .org in South Africa. The issue there is that also involved with global citizen is... Uh, Mr. Ramaphosa, our president, mm. and the issue of the moment for global citizen is Ukraine. So you can imagine, there's quite a lot of fun and games there. But can I kick off with the, this is the last day of the quarter. Now, in the investment world, mm. lots of things happen on a quarterly basis. In the United States, companies report quarterly. In South Africa, they only report every six months. But every quarter, the unit trust figures close off as well. So they will have unit trusts, they will have... Uh, exchange-traded funds, it's, it's a running uh, performance comparison, not every day, but on a quarterly basis. So at the, on the 31st of March, you'll look back to the 31st of March next, uh, last year and then say what the performance was. And uh, thanks to my friend Adrian Morris, who runs Market Master, that's a software program that we use here mm -hmm. for, for our uh, shares to, to watch what's going on there. He pulled out the top performing shares and the worst performing shares on the JSE. So let me just give you mm. uh, a little bit how, how much better you could have done if you'd invested in these shares rather than in a savings account or heaven help us, put your money under a mattress. <laughs> Best performing on the JSE was a coal company called Tungela. When it listed, I interviewed the CEO and at the time he was telling us it was going to be very successful, but even he didn't know that the a war would break out in Ukraine and that commodity prices would go through the roof. Tungela was up 103% in the last three months. Sure. HCI, that's uh, a company that you know a little bit about, or well, certainly it's got something to do with ETV. In a former life. I in mean. a former life. That was up 58%. So I think people running around uh, ETV will be smiling from ear to ear. Murafi, which is a minerals company, was up 50%. A potash company, Core Potash, was up 50%. Kumba, Iron ore, massive company, 44% in, uh, increase in the, in the past quarter. Exaro, another coal company, up 38%. Grindrod, 37%. That's an interesting one because that's an infrastructure company. Sassel, which we all know, a, a oil company, well, synthetic oil company, 36%. And then at the business conference, you might recall that Pete Fulion said one of the little twigs that he would put in his bundle is Robosis A, well, that's been one of the top performers of the quarter. It's up 35%. On the way down, biggest loser. And those are all big companies, Mike. These are, most of those are, are substantial companies. And what tends to happen is the little companies are the ones that you'd imagine are more mm. volatile than the big ones. 
in the losers, and there were a lot of big companies in there, in the losers, the biggest loser on the JSC for the first quarter of, uh, of 2022 was Process, Ooh. which is the biggest stock on the JSC, down yeah. 38%. Second biggest loser is a company that we in the media know quite well. It used to be called Secondjalo Resources. Iqbal Surveys Company dropped 34%. So you lost a third of your capital there. Number three was Tongart, down mm. 33%, a company that used to be in the business portfolio. Steinoff down 33%. So it seems as though the settlement hasn't done those uh, that stock much good. Avenge, which is in the business portfolio, was down 33%. They said to us that it's because of accounting irregular, well, technicality, but whatever. Naspers, which is the, the cousin of process down 32%. What is interesting, these are all big, big companies. It's not mm. the rats and mice we're talking about here. Then Wilson Bailey, another business portfolio. Fortunately, we got very little invested in Wilson Bailey and in, in uh, Avenge, down 31%. Ellie's 28%. Mass Mart, a subsidiary of Walmart in the US, 25%. Carew down 24% and Barlow World down 24%. The last one, Barlow World was a direct result of, uh, of the invasion into Ukraine and what happened in Russia because Barlow World has the Caterpillar uh, franchise for Siberia. So those are, the, those are the winners and losers of the first quarter and I think every three months we'll pick up on them. Interesting, Alec. Do you have repeat offenders here or do these names always, do there's gymnastics on this list? There's lots of gymnastics. What tends to happen is that the worst performers in one quarter can quite often be the best performers in the next one. So it's, but this, what is so unusual about the first three months of the year is that these lists have got big stocks. These are big stocks. Usually you'll find uh, lots of little rats and mice will appear on one or other list. But this is most unusual that you'll have the big companies who are either the worst performers or the best performers, which is telling you that the stock market at the moment is a very dangerous place to be. It's almost like, Buy the share if you know the story or you've done your homework and put it in a bottom drawer and close your eyes because next quarter it could be the top performer and this quarter you might be panicked into selling. So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting um, exercise to look at it on a quarterly basis, but sure, you shouldn't be basing your judgment on, on what to buy and sell as a result of that. Well, let's switch over to, to this Nklantla luck story and uh, go from business to politics for a second, even though it is not a, strictly speaking, a political organization. It's a groundswell movement, Operation Dudula. Uh, Dudula is, uh, means to push back. And I earlier, in the absence of speaking to, if you will watch this at a later stage, you will see a very handsome Mr. Nklantla Glamini uh, in the image. Uh, those on Twitter spaces, you'll have to use your imagination here. But he's in a flight suit. He's in a helicopter. He is a pilot. Uh, he's a very complicated, layered character. He's clearly smart. He's clearly uh, entrepreneurial. He is what, uh, Alec, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. Of course. Yeah. Leonardo, who was Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the true, true life story about Frank Abagnale, who uh, is a doctor and then a lawyer and then a pilot. I mean, this guy is basically following the script of Catch Me If You Can. It's very interesting. So I, in the absence of speaking to Mr. Nklantla himself, I reached out uh, to Dr. Ralph Matecha. And Alec, if you'd be so kind, here's 
what he had to say when I asked him whether South Africans should be sitting up, should we be worried? South Africans should be worried. Uh, uh, the first point of concern is that operations such as that, they are not accountable to anyone. There is always the saying that they are accountable to members. They are pursuing the ideas that are agenda of the group that are being agreed upon by members. But usually they are not accessible to any kind of external review. This is an organization and a movement that no one knows the way in which it actually operates internally. It's not available for any external evaluation. I actually had uh, a so quite applauded for Dr. Rav Matlech uh, this week. I get a, a missive from uh, Prince Michael of Liechtenstein. And, and he's an extraordinary guy. This mm-hmm. uh, Clearly he's royalty in Liechtenstein. But what he does is he, he puts together, uh, a he's got a project to try and improve the world. And then he gets very well-known people from around the world to contribute to his project. And he actually featured... Ralph Matleka in on on his website as mm. one of their newest contributors. So how's that? Interesting. Yeah, I've known Ralph. Um, we used to work together actually several decades ago. I've walked a very long road with uh, with Dr. Matleka, um, and um, th- he indulged me and gave me some of his very precious time yesterday. And uh, Alec, I'm going to ask you to hit number two again in a second. And this question is is premised on. What conclusion should we leave South Africans with about the character of the man? Is the Operation Dudulan and Tlantla, are we playing with fire here? Uh, is it good? Should this man come in and ruffle some feathers? Um, or, and I said, I hope this is not a, um, an unfair question or an unfair comparison, but are we looking at a Malema 2.0? South Africa has got appetite for anti-establishment politics. Even if people who form those parties do not get overwhelming support, but they're being kept around. Voters are quite understanding. It looks like when they are unhappy with the current system, voters are more willing to inter- to entertain new ideas. So he plays golf and then he's a pilot and he does all these things. You, you've got the making of a character here, man. And, and again, he's on social media. You've got the picture of a Rambo. There is a lot of masculinity as well. Picture of a Rambo. He he certainly has. Uh, he he knows a bit about weapons because yeah. if you understand automatic weapons and you're not going to be using it in anger, mm. then you hold your is that an index finger, the second one. You hold that over, not in the trigger uh, inside the trigger guard, but alongside it, which is what he's doing in a picture that we have of. Yeah, um, there is a link to this three minutes and 29 seconds of Inflantla Lux running on a treadmill with a nine mil strap to his side and an AK-47. I, I, I wanted to check if this was real or fake, but I have seen him shooting this in a shooting range on his Instagram profile. So very real AK-47 or variation thereof. It's an interesting, rather bizarre video. Um, a man of many faces, a man of many outfits, a uh, very interesting guy interesting to, to see how it develops into the future because we 2024 is really just around the corner isn't it when you think in the in the the whole grand scheme of things in south african politics whether he turns this soweto defense league or uh, this mm. new project that he has into an actual political party where they will be on the spectrum what's your your gut feel here 
I asked that question to to Rolf. Is are we going to see this guy's name on a ballot paper come twenty twenty four or after that perhaps? And he said it's the old story of nobody ever says that they will take up office. They will claim. I mean, the ANC loves this. I, if I'm asked, if I'm called <laughs> upon to serve, I will serve. And he certainly is very popular um, amongst not only Operation Dudula, but and I know social media, this very platform we are on is not necessarily real life, but there are a lot of people that applaud what he's been able to achieve um, in his life and they support what he stands for now, which is to kick illegal foreigners out of the country and um, make way for South Africans uh, in employment opportunities. So... There is, he talks like a politician, he walks like a politician. Is he going to become a fully-fledged politician in the future? I, I'd put fives and dollars on it. Well, he certainly isn't uh, going to be alone in that space. We know no. him and Mashaba's uh, looking at it too. And it, the only surprise it's taken so long for people who are looking for political power to realize that South Africans are inherently conservative and not wanting to rock boats, but also deeply spiritual in many ways. 86%, in the, according to the last census, of our people claim to be Christians. So if you claim to be a Christian, then perhaps you're going to vote in somebody who also reflects your, your uh, proposals. Who knows? Mm. But it's a, it's a fascinating story. Another fascinating story on my side, I had a, a webinar today on cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency is a very controversial subject. Until fairly recently, I was completely anti. I Should we call you a skeptic? I would say a cynic. A cynic. Okay. Uh, even, even one worse than a skeptic. And cynicism is horrible. It's the worst possible quality in a human being. Skepticism's good because you have an open mind. Mm -hmm. But I'd heard Nouriel Roubini, who's the guy who called the great financial crisis in 2008, while everybody else was seeing happy days, he was warning us. He's now called Dr. Doom as a result of that. I've seen people like, uh, or heard, people like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. I even wrote a book on Warren Buffett. So clearly these are guys that uh, I have a huge reputation for, calling it rat poison, cryptocurrency. And then... Them's fighting words. Right, rat poison. Wow. And from Buffett. And then I read, uh, well, at the Biz News Conference, as you know, Stafford Marcy, who's been a pal of mine for many years and has been telling me to buy Bitcoin uh, since it was, I don't know, $5 or something. It's now $48,000. Uh, he gave a presentation there that kind of knocked my socks off. But more than that, he said, go and read, go and learn about it. So I did. And I took a book called The Bitcoin Standard, which he recommends as your first point of call. And having read through it, I won't say that I'm I'm sold. I'm now Mr. Bitcoin flag waving. But uh, you have part. bought. We've bought it in the business portfolio. We've bought uh, into Bitcoin, and certainly we'll be going up to eventually 10% of the portfolio in Bitcoin. Wow! For reasons that I guess we can articulate in other ways. But today mm. in the webinar, I learned something new again. So here I was uh, thinking that Bitcoin as a store of value, good place to be. A little bit like gold, but it's a digital gold. But there's actually a whole lot more to this. And uh, this is what John T. Sachs from our partners at Jeltec had to say about it. The first investment option is digital currency, Bitcoin, Litecoin, et cetera. 
The second uh, really excites me, and that's utility tokens. And these are cryptocurrencies which are linked to, for example, the blockchain. So if you transact on the Ethereum bl blockchain, you don't pay a fee in, in Rand or dollars, you pay it in ETH, which is the native token to that blockchain. Ether has already seen over 1.2 million trades per day. So more protocols, businesses in this ecosystem are adopting Ethereum. And as a result, the price for ETH has really gone up. So that's all Greek to you. Let me just unpack it very briefly. Yes. There's this thing called the blockchain. It's like, it's like imagine, imagine you've got a thousand accountants who are sitting around the country, just, just as, a, as a starting point. And they're all sitting with a, a book in front of them. And they are connected to each other. And somebody makes a transaction. And each of those accountants then writes in their journal, mm -hmm. uh, Michael has sold uh, one Bitcoin to Alec. Michael has one Bitcoin less. Alec has one Bitcoin more. And they do that simultaneously. Now, you can imagine if you do that manually, it would take uh, quite what's impossible. Yeah, That's all done on what is called a ledger. So that... It's like an accountant's ledger, but it's all technology. So that's not just a thousand, but a hundred thousand of these ledgers or more. I, I don't know the exact number, but there are many, many for every transaction that is conducted in a cryptocurrency in Bitcoin. It's instantaneously transferred on all of this, on this whole decentralized ledger. So nobody can cheat. Nobody can say, uh, Michael, sorry. Uh, I didn't want to buy that Bitcoin from you or you can't say to me, but hang on, I didn't sell that Bitcoin to this guy. I still own it. Mm. That's not possible. So that's, that's in a very, very basic way how the blockchain works. What Jonty is explaining, and we leave Bitcoin to one side because that's got its own investment uh, thesis, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in, at some point in the future. But what he's saying is that other companies are now using this blockchain technology, but they've got to pay to get those transactions registered by all those accountants, mm -hmm. uh, or the, the obviously virtual accountants, and they pay in a thing called ETH, because Ethereum, the company, has created these blockchains and created this way that you can actually use them. You can use this ledger. And it's, it's got many, many uses. For instance, just think of property, title deeds of property. Mm -hmm. It'll be on the, uh, on the blockchain. Anyone can go and look at it. But when the Johannesburg municipality transfers a, uh, one property to another, they would have to pay small numbers, but they would have to pay a number of ETH. Now, as he explained, there are 1.2 million transactions already that are happening in that ecosystem every month, and that's now starting to grow exponentially. Mm. So the value of ETH, if you were to buy it as a utility, as it were, is also going up. It's, it's like... It's a massive, massive new field. And mm. Stafford says it reminds him of the early days of the internet. And as you recall, in 1997, I went into internet publishing, which at, at which time many of my colleagues in the journalistic fraternity looked at me and said, no, this guy's lost it. He's completely lost it. I remember Helen Ziller at the business conference. I'll admit it, I was a little bit impressed when she started rambling off about blockchain and the uses of it in local government, uh, tendering being able to pay people. It's in a completely transparent fashion. Um, any thoughts on, on what Helen Zeller had to say at BNC3 about the usage and how far are we off? I mean, in South Africa, in South African terms, we must be 
decades off from this. Don't think so, because we leapfrog. It's a little bit like uh, ATMs mm-hmm. in this country. I mean, now we're talking about ancient history, but ATMs, when they were introduced into South Africa, gave us a leapfrog, and we were way ahead of the rest of the world in ATMs. It's, uh, it's been similar with our cell phone technology. We're not far behind when it comes to 5G. Indeed, if you go to the United States and, and compare their cell phones, their banking, certain technologies, we are far ahead. So this adoption, we're early adopters here. We're pioneers. Every single, think of it, every single South African in their DNA in the last 5,000 years or 10,000 years will come from somewhere else, not, not the original First Nation, mm. uh, the Khoisan, outside of them, but everybody else has come from somewhere else into this country. Now, you need a certain gene to, to have that, a certain pioneering kind of spirit, mm-hmm. and that's what we have. So I guess that could be one of the reasons why we're early adopters in many things. I can see us doing a leapfrog here, and who knows where it's going to end up. Well, let us leapfrog to our commander-in-chief, our president, Ramaphosa. This is um, an interesting story that just came out today uh, on the presidency's website, and I saw a tweet from the South African Human Rights Commission. The issue of, and it's important that we as South Africans do not forget, do not pass over what happened in July last year. There needs to be accountability. There still needs to be questioned, uh, questions asked of those in the executive, uh, those in cabinet um, who were in the levers of power while 50 million rand, what was it? 50 billion. 50 billion rand was wiped off the books and 350 people lost their lives. So the number one uh, South Africa's first citizen is going to be appearing at the South African Human Rights Commission um, Tomorrow, on the 1st of April, on April Fool's. And you'll remember, Alec, that in the wake of of all the violence and destruction and looting, he called it an attempted insurrection. And then the defense minister at the time, Nosuviwe Mapisa Ngwakula, she came out saying, no, this is just simply counter-revolutionary. There's no attempted coup that's gone on there. And, I mean, I, one can speculate, but they would eventually see her being removed as defense minister. And she now sits uh, in parliament as the speaker and presides over motions of no confidence. But, uh, anyway, this is important because this is, I hope they are pointed. I hope there are pointed questions that are going to be put to their head of state here. Because um, the South African Human Rights Commission's report that expert panel that interviewed the police minister, the police commissioner, a whole bunch of people involved. 80% of the violence and looting took place in KwaZulu-Natal, 20% in Gauteng. So after the interviews in KZN, they came out with this report, and it stated that ultimately the executive cabinet has to take responsibility for what happened. Now, I don't know about you, Alec. I haven't seen responsibility being taken and if you want to tell Mm. me that the national police commissioner simply um, being asked to vacate his position if that is accountability then you know we have a long way to go in this country and i i really hope that there is a better showing by the president than when he testified at the state capture inquiry Uh, you'll remember alec uh, advocate erin richards and i had a, had a chat about the what she believes is the deference that was shown to the head of state 
by the then Deputy Chief Justice when he was testifying, saying that he should have... It, it turned into a bit of a, a deny-and-giggle festival. When a really tough question was put to him, he would smile at the Deputy Chief Justice or at the Chairman, and they'd have a bit of a giggle. So let's hope that when he appears before this Human Rights Commission um, on Friday, that there really is a tough line taken here, because South Africans deserve answers. It's a bit like what Warren Buffett says should be on remuneration committees of companies. Instead of Rottweilers, we have Maltese Poodles. And in a case like this, the Rottweilers need to be bearing their teeth at the Human Rights Commission. And certainly we don't want, want uh, Maltese Poodles. Mark, it's, it's very personal for me. I'm from KwaZulu-Natal. I have yeah. a family there. I grew up there. I have many friends. And they went through absolute hell. Were it not for the taxi association coming on the side of the, of the middle class, who knows what might have happened there. It was an extraordinary time where the police just disappeared. They were non-existent. Mm. The army was stuck in the barracks. So I'm not surprised that, uh, that the, the Minister of Defence got her marching orders. Mm. It was a time that uh, was well articulated at our second conference by Jason McCormick, who had a number of the shopping centres yeah. of, of his company, uh, his family's company, uh, attacked and looted. And, and he talks about getting two hours or three hours sleep in 72 hours of chaos. Yeah. So this is not something we just sweep under the carpet and forget about. This is something that we need answers to as citizens of South Africa to ensure that whatever happened, those who perpetrated are brought to book and indeed that it does not repeat it. 50 billion rand is a lot of money. If yeah. you look at South Africa's GDP, in a year we spend 300 billion rand. So it's one-sixth of South Africa's GDP. Put a different way, yeah. for every rand that is spent in the country this year, uh, in a whole year, imagine taking out something like 17 cents of it, of yeah. every rand spent, yeah. and putting that one side and say, well, that's the cost of the rights. It was massive. You know, the president stood in front of the nation and said that we know who the 12 masterminds, the instigators behind this are. You watch this space. Mr. President, we are still watching this space. Where are the masterminds? I hope they ask him that question tomorrow. Indeed. Okay, well, moving on to my next uh, story, which is, uh, remember I said to you that I've got some really strange acronyms. Well, the other one is a <laughs> SPAC. <laughs> and a SPAC uh, well, let me not tell you. Let's ask Warren Wheatley, who's the brains behind a company called Altvest, which will be listing on the Cape Town Stock Exchange on the 5th of May. Let him explain what a SPAC is. A SPAC is buying into a, a set of opportunities presented by the experience of the opportunity presenters. So in other words, you aren't buying into a particular company. You're buying into the personalities who have joined that company, who have anointed themselves as the opportunity finders. So it's, it's real interesting. But maybe let me put it to you a different way. Rob Hersoff, who's very famous amongst the business community uh, because of a, a very outspoken speech that he made at, uh, at I think, uh, BNC2, our second conference, he has a SPAC in the United States where he and some pretty good miners around him went to the American investors and said, give us $400 million 
and we will find a gold mine in Africa that we will develop for you. They had nothing at the time. The idea of a SPAC is that you, you go with an idea and then the investors give you money because they say, Rob Hersov, he's, he's a good entrepreneur. We want to give him money and he's got a good team around him. Here's the money. If you don't do anything in it in two years, you've got to give the money back. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this SPAC or this special purpose vehicle is that this is to do with a company called Altvest. Altvest is, uh, is a mind-blowingly innovative uh, investment option in South Africa. It will be listed on the Cape Town Stock Exchange. And what Altvest does is it invests in small and medium enterprises and unusual investments, which in the past people like you and I would just not even get a look in. It's the, the ultra high net worth individuals who would buy wine farms, sports teams, um, various uh, exotic cars or exotic car companies and so on. So these are very different, often very high yielding investments that are going to be purchased by Altvest and then separately listed within Altvest. So if, for instance, you want to buy 100 rands worth of a wine farm, you'll be able to do it in future. Mm. It's, a, it's a fantastic option. And what, what Warren's whole strategy is for this SPAC called Altvest is that it's allowing the retail investors to go ahead and to, to participate in, a, in an area where in the past only very, very rich people could play. What's the, what's the, and there's going to be a lot of ignorance thrown around here, and I do so, and I'm not embarrassed by this. Difference between angel investors and SPACs. Angel investors, you have to, you approach them all. But this seems to be driven by, um, actually, let me just leave it there. What's the difference between those two? Well, a SPAC is a, is a spe- special purpose vehicle, which is listed in the stock market. So, and then once it's listed, you make the investments. What's happened with Alt, Altvest is they list, they're raising 50 million rand, and that 50 million rand will then be used. They've already said, it's like Rob Hersoff said, with, with his SPAC listed in America, we're going to invest in a gold mine in Africa or gold mines in Africa. So you know what, what the uh, philosophy is. In this case, what Warren is saying and, and the other directors around him, we're going to invest in exotic unusual, private, uh, usually private equity type investments that don't get offered to anybody outside of that little clique, that little club. And that's what is happening on this side. An angel investor would be one of those wealthy people, somebody who's made a a pile of money in some way. And then they they will go along to an entrepreneur who'd say, uh, have a a unable to raise money from the bank and they'd say, well, here, I'll take an investment. I'll give you a little bit of money. But like private equity, which works on the same basis. So we, you know, these, there, there are different parts to the financial world. The problem is exclusion of people, uh, retail investors into financial instruments. And Easy Equities has done an amazing job with uh, the way that you can put 50 Rand into Amazon shares, whereas in the past, or in most other areas, if you want to buy one Amazon share, it's going to cost you 50,000 rand. So it's that kind of a democratization of uh, in assets for the public. Um, I just want to switch it up for a second and go to the courts. Um, tomorrow, the 1st of April, is going to be the sentencing of the ANC Women's League president in South Africa. Many will know her as Bata Bilet Lamini. She was also the former minister 
um, of, yeah, there she is, former Minister of uh, Social Security or Security. The Sasser Lady. The Sasser Lady. And she was found to have lied at an inquiry uh, in 2017 looking into the Sasser debacle. So the Constitutional Court ordered that there be an inquiry. She was called before that. She was found to have violated um, the... She lied under oath and she was... Her sentence will be um, meted out tomorrow. And that is the 1st of April. Now, what was interesting to me, Alec, is just how different the worlds we live in compared to the politicians. I, I remember the story yesterday. I think it was Tony Leon who I was listening to who said, you know, sometimes politicians really cannot read the mood of the country at a time uh, of COVID lockdowns and so on, when South Africans were struggling to make ends meet, they went and spent 19 million rands purchasing new vehicles for themselves. Um, and that's just dumb. Yes. That's really dumb. If a, if a chief executive of a company that was in trouble went and arrived in the parking lot with a spanking new uh, Ferrari, you can be sure he's not going to last very long. So she, as part of being in a part of court proceedings, you have to say exactly how much money you earn. And her lawyer asked for leniency when the judge hands down sentencing because she only earns 110,000 rand a month. And I thought, wow. That puts her in the top 1% for sure. Absolutely. So she and her legal team will be hoping that there won't be a custodial sentence handed down tomorrow um, and that it'll likely be a fine um, under threat of imprisonment. But yeah, 40,000 rand uh, from her former government position as as the minister and 70,000 rand, 70,000 rand to be the president of the ANC Women's League. That's not bad business. Mm. Entrepreneurial politicians are everywhere. We're talking about politics, we, uh, we also had a, an incredible, we've had an incredible series uh, of open letters to, to Sura Ramaphosa, which we're going to get to in a little while with, with Nimola. But before we go there, let me get to my last uh, anagram of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Now, mm -hmm. this is a difficult one to explain, but what it really is, when, maybe I can put it this way. When I first went and discovered the internet, I just discovered it for myself, not for anybody else, in 1997. The way it was explained to me is if you imagine that you have uh, a, a vertical line and on the right-hand side is the real world, the world we live in. It's got shopping centers and roads and houses and it's all physical stuff. And on the left-hand side is all virtual stuff. And at the early days of the internet, there was not a heck of a lot there. Well, what's happening now in this thing called the metaverse? So the internet has now become the metaverse, and it's a, it's a replica of the physical side. And increasingly, you're finding that people want to live close to people who are very famous. So as a consequence, or they want to create museums that other people will go to, or... or boast show-off places where, where others who are in the metaverse, because as you go into the metaverse or this, this virtual world, you, you operate very much like you would in the physical world, excepting you're looking through virtual reality, not, not in, in, uh, in, in true reality. 
But now what's happening increasingly is that assets in the physical world are being offered for sale in the virtual world. Mm. Mona Lisa, for instance, if there's one Mona Lisa in the Louvre that is turned into a digital asset, which I'm sure is going to happen sometime. Absolutely. Somebody's going to want to buy it, which will be an incredible amount of money, and they'll put it in their art museum on the metaverse that, so that the people in the virtual world will go and see it. Anyway, in South Africa, we've got a company called Moment, and Moment had a auction last Saturday at the Grand Cafe. Do you know the Grand Cafe in Cape Town? I do, yes. Well, it's, it's an appropriate place to have you know, young, hip, smart, <laughs> wealthy. And uh, it, was, it was an all-day affair, and they, raised, they sold non-fungible tokens to the value of 8.1 million rand, which for a, for a brand new area is, is an extraordinary amount of money. But the big thing that they sold there, the, the, the biggest part of it, was a digital copy of Nelson Mandela's arrest warrant which sold to a guy from the UAE for $130,000. So now he's got the only copy outside of the one that sits in the Lily's Leaf Farm. And I interviewed uh, Oren Postumus, who's the chief executive of Moment, this company that mints NFTs in South Africa, just for a little bit of background on exactly what went on. We auctioned off Nelson Mandela's original warrant of arrest, which is just such a great thing because we're bringing our history and our heritage into the metaverse. Equally, we're bringing it to the world stage. You know, we're putting it alongside these bored apes, which they're controversial in their own right, but what cannot be disputed is the amount of money that's, that's going towards projects like that. And we wanted to make it very clear to the world that these pieces should be held on the same kind of world stage as a, as a bored ape at the very least. Have you heard of a bored ape? Tell me about it, There are 10,000 of them. Only 10,000, which is, of course is the selling Oh, These are the terribly pixelated apes. Correct. They were all produced by computers. Uh-huh. And these, there, there are 10,000 of them, and they are not really art. Some people would say they are, but that's not really the point. The point of a bored ape, if you're one of the 10,000 people in the world who owns one of these, it gives you membership of the Bored Ape Yacht Club. And the Board Ape Yacht Club gives you all kinds of other add-on benefits, ancillary benefits, including they dropped $140,000, I understand, into each account of everybody who owns a Board Ape. So each of those 10,000 people certainly suddenly got this $140,000. It's got even better because now you have mutated Board Apes. So you've got the 10,000, and then there's a whole bunch of mutants who are not quite bored apes, but you got to know, if you're going to buy a bored ape, make sure you buy the real thing, not the mutant. Again, it's a whole new world that's opening up, like the internet was in 1997. Alec Hogg, did you think you would be speaking about bored and mutating apes 10 years ago? Well, 10 <laughs> Outside of the Johannesburg Zoo, probably not. Well, okay. Um, back to Mr. Ramaphosa. And this is a nom de plume, Mr. Niemöller. This well, is how do you know it's Mr.? Well, he, she, they. Niemöller. Mm-hmm. Niemöller. This is, and I've only been here a couple of months. I had to ask, <laughs> you know, who is Niemöller? How do we, you know, who is this person? And I was told, well, the whole idea is that you don't know who they are and that they can be as open and honest so that there is no retribution. 
And I loved it. I must commend our, our, our colleague, Nadia Swat. I loved the narration that she did of this open letter, the scathing, and not attack, just a scathingly honest um, appeal to President Ramaphosa. And we, we're going to play two sound bites. The first is just, um, you'll hear the voice of Nadia Swat, but it is the thoughts of Niemöller. And we've heard about the president speak about and I mean, I, I think people w applauded this. I, I think you applauded this. The fact that uh, job creation in this country must come from the private sector. It is no longer the purview of the government to create jobs. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Finally, the government is, has realized it's not its job to create employment in the country. Um, but there have been problems. You're a lot of things, but you're not stupid, Mr. President. You have to know that without action to restore the regulatory, policy and institutional weaknesses that have all but destroyed the public sector, we can't move forward at all, only backward, without the private sector in pole position, taking management of certain services away from you, you're just condemning your own people to corruption, inefficiency and incompetence, yet all you can do is invoke the perpetually useful boogeyman apartheid. Sure. It's a powerful, powerful message that Nimola has produced. It's the, I think, the fourth one. Yeah. Uh, it's the second open letter. There was an open letter uh, around about a year ago, where which Nadia also voiced, which has been watched about 185,000 times on YouTube. So, yes. uh, it, it, and the, the story itself got more than 200,000 reads, which in our world means it went viral. So lots of yes. people are talking about it, looking at it. The reason why the nom de plume of Nimola was chosen is because Pastor Nimola was uh, one of- Anti-Nazi. There we go, one yes. of the few people who actually stood up against Hitler uh, yeah. at that time. So uh, we've had, <laughs> it's funny this, but we had Mr. Nimola in South Africa yeah. saying, how dare you <laughs> say this of my great, 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 great grandfather <laughs> Uh, he he wouldn't have said this if you'd known him. He wouldn't have done this. Okay. So don't use my name anymore. So I've had to ask Nimola to look at a different nom de plume for future. Uh, anyway, whatever. It is what uh, you know. We we don't we we don't want to get people upset. And he says, well, he he travels a lot of uh, to a lot of places, and now people are thinking that he's Nimola because <laughs> he has the same name. Uh, the second part coming out of Nimola's open letter is about. I mean, it's a very controversial issue. Um, I have spoken to an academic about the extension of the national state of disaster. I, uh, yesterday, I heard President Ramaphosa speaking at uh, NUM's 40th celebration saying, I can tell you right now that the state of disaster will end soon. And it's a... It, it is legislatively supposed to end on the 15th of April, as it was extended for a month from the 15th of March. But I think it's going to be moved to the 5th of April. It's going to fall away. Uh, I'm not Which will be Monday, that as we sit here now. I, th I think it is. Is it Monday? Yep. Your first is tomorrow. Um, Second, third, fourth, uh, Monday or Tuesday. So. You know, there, there's a lot of concern around, oh, sure, we're going to celebrate dropping of the national state of disaster, but what is being snuck in through the back door into existing legislation like the National Health Act, which doesn't require um, 
it's not, it's not a, a it mustn't go before parliament it's simply an amendment to existing legislation which does open it up to public comment but there are a number of concerns about that and Alec I'm actually going to look at that in the coming days what amendments exactly are going into existing legislation is it an extraordinary amount of power that we are giving to the government um, to be able to make judgment calls and let us not I mean I don't think it's it's too much to ask um, that the government use discretion and use rationality because these this is the same government that took away cooked chicken and asked us not to buy open-toed shoes during COVID-19. So let us we can honestly not give them too much credit here. So um, let's look at Niemöller's second bite here about the uh, the state of disaster. And then you mess it up again, extending the state of disaster. This has to mean that your team don't have the faintest idea of what's going on. So bad that Professor Marty has said that this decision is indicative of the NCCC being devoid of any understanding of the pandemic. We're done, Mr. President. We're just done with yet another opaque governing process displacing public policymaking. This is just a cabinet power play. Wow. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's in that theme all the way through. I, I wonder if Cyril actually reads or listens to this. To, to, to this? Well, to Niemöller. Oh, to Niemöller. Well, we could always, I'm, I mean, you're well connected, Mr. Hogg. I'm sure you can get an email address for the president. Well, uh, I, 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 it'll be interesting in Davos, which we're both going to in May. So yes. Mike and I are going to be uh, walking around. And usually for Davos, it'll be summer. Summer. The thankfully. first time ever, because uh, certainly in, in winter you have to have snowshoes and it's going to be unusual. I've been there 16 times. It'll be the, the first time that I've gone there where I can recognize a blade of grass, which doesn't exist <laughs> usually. But uh, Cyril's there mm-hmm. and so is his group and you get quite close. So it'll be interesting to see how we treat it. Uh, well, if, let's if, if we the Nimola twins who kind of left out of the brand South African dinners, etc. We'll put it on a USB drive and try and slip it into his pocket. <laughs> I'm sure, knowing him, and uh, you, you might recall that I, I did the audio book um, of Anthony Butler's excellent biography on Sora Maposa. And when you do an audio book, you read through every line, and if you're fluffing here, you've got to stop and mm-hmm. redo it. So it took a long time. It's a long book. But from the kind of person that he is, and I'm a great admirer after reading that, uh, he, he does play the long game. He is a sensible uh, uh, in, a human being with great integrity. I've got a, a lot of time for Ramaphosa the person. The actions of Ramaphosa the politician sometimes uh, do, do leave a bit to be desired, but remembering that... He does have uh, one of the more difficult jobs uh, in the country, not just running a, this country, but running this country as the head of the ANC, which is, it's been said many times before, is a criminal syndicate. There's very, uh, very few other ways of describing it. So how do you go in as the leader and fix a criminal syndicate? Yeah. Yo, not easy. Yeah, well, um, President Ramaphosa and uh, his utterings about what's going on in Eastern Europe at the moment. I'm trying to dovetail you, segue you into your last soundbite here. Um, I hang my head in shame as a South African for what the government has been saying about 
you know, what South Africans think about the, as Putin would have it, uh, the special military operations. No, it's a war. It is an invasion by one country of another um, of what's going on there. In Niemöller's discussion, uh, it, it also, Niemöller tells us that there is not two sides to the story, to the Ukraine story. And sometimes you have to believe that that is the case. For those who are still saying, well, Putin is justified because of, of NATO on his doorstep, etc., etc., there are two things. No democracy has ever declared war on another democracy. That's the, the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, autocracies declare war on democracies, and sometimes it's vice versa. But that's never happened. And the second thing is that if we were in Russia now, you and I, this program would not happen because you need, well, in Russia they only have state media. Yes. So it's like the, the bad old days in South Africa where you had just the SABC when it came to television and, and radio. Yeah. Uh, you did have the private sector involved in newspapers and magazines, but the power of television and radio in South Africa back then, because yeah. the internet's changed at all, meant that we, we really were sending out a message or a message was being received by the public, which was one that the government of the time, the apartheid government, was, was shaping. It's a similar thing in China as well, where in China you need a license even to be a freelance journalist. Mm-hmm. And if you do get a license, you need to have a censor in your offices who checks everything that goes out. And the, the question to this is if you believe an autocratic government which has complete power over the information that you receive, then perhaps you being just a little naive or perhaps very naive indeed. Anyway, this brings us to Ukraine and it brings us to Tsepo Malelwe, who is the biggest single outside shareholder in Capitech. His stake in Capitech, has, he's, his brilliance was twofold. One, he bought in early. He bought Capitech at 30 rand a share. It's now 2,200 rand a share. When you work that out, it starts becoming Ouch. crazy numbers. <laughs> yeah. He then doubled up at 300. And that was that took a lot of backbone and guts. But more than that, he never sold. He held on to the stock. And as a consequence of that, a little bit like what Patrice Mazzepi did when he bought the Anglo gold gold mines at the bottom of the, of the gold market, gold price was under $300 an ounce at the time that he bought these deep level mines because Anglo gold wanted to get rid of them. And uh, um, well, to his credit, uh, Patrice Mazzepi took a long view and it's worked out really well for him. He also made a big investment in Sunlum before that went up 10 times. So Patrice has done well there. Tsepo is, is a, quite a few parallels with Patrice. But now what's, whereas Patrice is in the football and the chairman of CAF, Tsepo has been appointed to as the patron for Africa for globalcitizen.org. Mm-hmm. Now what's interesting about all of this is that Cyril Maposa is also involved in globalcitizen.org. And right now, globalcitizen.org's big story, and they, they have concerts around the world and celebrities are involved and it's it's really a quite a big deal they get personalities heads of state celebrities to do the right thing to do the good thing yeah and what they're busy with right now is ukraine it's all about ukraine we stand with ukraine yeah 
I wonder what Cyril does when he sees, hey, hang on a minute, you know, I'm one of the guys here, and oops, uh, and Tepo being appointed as the patron. I said, but in South Africa, it's a bit of a hot potato, given yeah. we're a member of BRICS and so on. And this is how he responded. We also see how this war just affects everybody. Oil prices impacting us, the issues of food security being, now being uh, us being impacted upon. We have like no students, we had to like you no know, come back and like, you know, because they were studying in Ukraine. So we all are global citizens. We all get impacted. Interesting. And a nice way to, to end today because uh, we are global, we are part of the world. Uh, globalcitizen.org uh, emphasizes that. Well done to Tsepo, who's the chairman of Arena, the uh, chairman of Harris, the company he started. Uh, he's uh, very involved, EOH, they own a big slug of that as well. And of course, the biggest story for him is that he's the chairman of the consortium that's bought control of South African Airways. Yeah. I uh, hope that's not a poison chalice for him, but that's uh, Mr. Malelwe. Well, thanks, Alec. It's been it's been a good 57 minutes. I think uh, Spaces kicks us off after an hour. Well, we said that we would not uh, push the limit of all those who joined us, but thank you very much for doing so. Next week, we're going to be asking you to put up your hand and contribute uh, your questions. So we'll be opening up a bit more. We, we were a bit nervous to do that today because <laughs> this is a first time. But thank you. Thanks for being with us and for uh, those who are picking up this conversation on YouTube and uh, the recording on our podcasting uh, platforms. We're here to serve you, so let us know if, if there's more that you want to know about. But, Mark, thanks, man. It's, uh, thanks, I enjoyed Hope. the past hour and yeah. look forward to many more in future. This time next week, same time, I think. Indeed.